0: If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. I like you just the way you are. You're braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and
1: smarter than you think.
0: Parenting is a sacrifice. It's exhausting. It's expensive. At times it feels thankless. But, eventually you die. Welcome to the Kid Doc Good Job Being the Mom podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping mothers and fathers through supporting, enabling, and empowering them in their amazing role as parents. Well, it's a little bit late in the spring-summer season, but we wanted to cover problems that arise when the weather starts to warm up.
1: It is interesting to view the seasonality that we give as far as care in the office, and uh, most problems definitely have a season to them.
0: Yeah. What does the warmer weather bring besides an increase in injuries?
1: We definitely do see more broken bones and stitches, which is to be expected with more outside activity and trampoline use and stuff like that. But there's also a seasonality to bugs, both the seasonal germs and the insects that are out. We see the various allergies in spring, summer and fall, and swimmer's ear comes along with bun pool use.
0: Well, let's cover allergies and insects first, and then we can move into the seasonal illnesses like intestinal viruses and hand, foot, and mouth disease. So allergies are the biggest item when it gets warm and things start blooming. What is the cycle of allergens?
1: So the exact cause of allergic symptoms can be difficult to know with a certainty without testing. But in general, we see tree allergens in the spring, grass allergies in the summer, and then weed allergies in the fall.
0: When do you recommend testing for allergies?
1: Really only when considering immunotherapy, that's the oral or injection treatment for allergies that can take many months or years. And the analogy I use is similar to LASIK surgery. So if someone is fine managing their vision problems with glasses or contacts, then just stick with it. If they aren't doing great, then you can move to a more permanent solution like eye surgery. And it's the same with allergies where you can manage with what you can do at home and if you need more help, then you can move over to the immunotherapy. Otherwise, if you do allergy testing and then you find out what you are allergic to, you still are left just doing the same thing that you can do at home with the Zyrtec and everything else.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. What non-medication steps can parents take to prevent allergies?
1: A huge help is just simply washing hair at night after a busy day outside to prevent the accumulated pollen from depositing on their pillow at night and then worsening allergy symptoms by breathing in that pollen all night. They have this pollen pillow they sleep on all night long. I liken this to people that smoke that have asthma. And thankfully, I don't have a lot of little kids who are smoking, but you can give more medicine to asthmatics, smoke or you can stop smoking and that would help your lungs. So same with allergies. We can get rid of the pollen pillow exposure and then that helps the allergy. So washing sheets and pillows and stuffed animals on the bed once a week. And then consider purchasing a one room air purifier that has HEPA filtering.
0: What is the first line medication help?
1: I recommend using Claritin or Zyrtec for several months at a time for a whole allergy season. And if symptoms return after stopping the medication, then restart the medication again. So it's pretty pretty straightforward. And this will make sure that you're not stopping too often and will help to define the season by knowing when the medication is helpful. And I'll recommend doing a Zyrtec or Claritin dose of either a 5 milligram chewable or a 10 milligram tablet, or they could just do the math to say about one milligram or one milliliter of the liquid for about every 10 pounds.
0: How do you step up treatment if nose or eye symptoms are especially bad?
1: So when things get really bad some weeks, then if you have extra bad nose symptoms, I recommend using a steroid nose spray and to do one spray on each side every night for a couple of weeks at a time. And then if symptoms come back after you stop doing that for a couple of weeks, then go for two more weeks. And this will make sure that you're not stopping too often and also, again, helps to define when you need that help. And the steroid that I recommend is any of the over-the-counter medicines, nasonex, flonase, rhinocort, nasocort, really whatever your pharmacy has. And then if they have extra bad eye symptoms, and they can use Zadator, that's Z-A-D-Z as in Z, Zadator over-the-counter, and that's one drop every night and morning is needed to help out.
0: Got it. So insect bites and stings are a big part of kid problems in the warmer months. How do we manage these?
1: For mosquito bites, I recommend doing a few things Benadryl, one milliliter for every five pounds, and that's every six hours to help out with itchiness and redness. And in addition, do Zyrtec, one milliliter every 10 pounds for every 24 hours for the next few days, and the 1% hydrocortisone ointment to any affected areas. Two to three times a day to help with itch and it's always all three people always ask is it all of those or, you know it's, it's benadryl and zyrtec and hydrocortisone together each time
0: yeah i just keep thinking about one of my brothers who's allergic to mosquitoes and so his cute limbs would just swell up so much with his mosquito bites so it's nice to get a handle on those before it becomes a problem
1: yeah we've got a, a few cute pictures of dirty faces and, and eyelids all swollen from mosquito bites so yeah.
0: part of having a good life living outside. I know. So they're a very similar regimen for allergies too. Is that right?
1: It is. So although this isn't a mosquito allergy, your body still kicks out histamine in response to the anticoagulant that the mosquitoes inject to keep the blood flowing. So it looks like the same kind of reaction, but it's a different mechanism.
0: Yeah. So can we do anything to prevent the swelling reaction to mosquito bites?
1: One option I recommend is actually doing Zyrtec every day during seasons when kids are around a lot of mosquitoes at soccer practice or at their park. So it won't change the number of bites, but it will minimize the reaction to the bites. So when the bite happens, then the swelling won't happen as much.
0: When do parents need to come in?
1: I think that they should call and come in if there's any worsening and expanding redness or any worsening fever. So you're doing everything we talked about, but things are getting worse. And that's when I would look at doing some antibiotics with a concern that maybe there's an infection there.
0: What's your bug spray advice?
1: The only products that um, have DEET are the ones that work well. So DEET is the gold standard. You can use the Deep Woods high percentage DEET for older kids and also spray it on clothing, but only use the lower percentage they call it family strength products for younger kids. And I like to use clothing as a first-line protection to protect the, the most of their body area and then protect the small surface areas left over with any bug spray that you need.
0: Mm-hmm. Any comments about bee stings?
1: So with bee and wasp stings, they're in this genus of Hymenoptera where they share a common toxin in the venom. And so whatever kind of sting you get from those um, those insects, you have the localized swelling, which you really can minimize with the same medications we just talked about for mosquito bites, as well as doing some cold compresses are helpful. People oftentimes do little types of different paste to try to draw out the venom that people will apply. And obviously we want to be calling 911 for any breathing concerns after bee or wasp stings. And then people with known anaphylaxis to these hymenoptera insects should keep your epinephrine with them all the time.
0: What are the most typical illnesses we see in the spring and summer?
1: Well, we do get some low level colds, most of the big players for respiratory illnesses like influenza and RSV have gone away. Then we start to see an influx in the contact spread illnesses like intestinal viruses and hand, foot and mouth and viral meningitis.
0: So a lot more of the intestinal viruses that we hear about on cruise ships are happening right now. What about that?
1: Yeah, definitely. So people, you know, summertime, and and so it's a time people are out doing cruises and fun things. But many of our intestinal viruses are in full swing in the summer. I am glad to have rotavirus go away, which was always very high in January. Um, But with vaccinations, we took care of that. But some of the lower level intestinal viruses are prevalent when it warms up.
0: How do intestinal illnesses present?
1: Most begin with either vomiting and then diarrhea follows or diarrhea can be the first symptom. And each type of virus has varying degrees of fever based on which one the kiddo has. So the vomiting usually subsides after the first 12 to 24 hours, but the segue is to diarrhea and that lasts for five to seven days or longer.
0: What makes diarrhea complicated in kids?
1: What I see is that the problems created by diarrhea or that we lose the superficial enzymes of lactase as well as a lot of the healthy bacteria flora gets flushed out. So both of these problems create digest- digestion problems that can prolong the diarrhea, especially when milk is a staple for most little kids.
0: What problems are created by not processing lactose appropriately?
1: So it's like most people know about what lactose intolerance is. But this increase in undigested sugar pulls water with it, which prolongs the diarrhea. And having undigested sugars go into the colon creates more pain from the gas that forms there. So more and longer lasting diarrhea and more pain along with it.
0: How do we manage the temporary lactose intolerance?
1: I always recommend that we we remove lactose, either milk and milk-based products from the diet until the stool is back to normal for a day or two. This is only a temporary lactose intolerance and it will go back to normal. So use lactose free or plant based milk instead of as a replacement until all the symptoms have resolved for a couple of days.
0: What about replacing the gut flora?
1: For this, I recommend using an age appropriate dose and form of, of acidophilus to restore normal gut flora. Yogurt used to be our mainstay, but now we have other options and the lactose complicates things. So I recommend just buying a kid-friendly probiotic at your pharmacy. Sometimes the kid formulations cost more, but I'm pretty thrifty and cost conscious. So I just say to just use about half of an adult dose of a capsule or and, and dump it onto applesauce or something similar.
0: Are there dehydration concerns as well?
1: This is definitely possible. And so fluids are most important and food is secondary. I think people are really in a hurry to get them back eating regular food. But, but I say don't go to solid foods until there's no vomiting for about 16 to 24 hours. So our goal of having an age appropriate number of ounces of electrolyte fluids, light, or some of the, the um, more um, rehydrating Gatorade products are good. So a certain number of ounces per day And then I recommend a pace of about one to two ounces every 15 minutes and say about one cup per movie is a good goal for those having a hard time with keeping food down. And you you can do popsicles and otter pops and stuff like that as well to help out. You can always detox the kids from the the sugar later on if you need to. Mm -hmm.
0: When should parents be calling for help?
1: I had them call me for any concerns about poor urine output, dry mouth, or no tears when they're crying or other concerns for dehydration, or if symptoms are lasting longer than a week.
0: Speaking of longer lasting intestinal symptoms, aren't some of these intestinal illnesses caused by other pathogens besides viruses? We talk a little bit about the Weber water here in Davis County.
1: Right, kind of a unique secondary water thing that we have. It's, it's nice for helping out with irrigation. So when we see prolonged diarrhea, and parents have done a good job with what we just talked about, we may be talking about other pathogens like cryptosporidium and giardia, and these are found in nature as well as close to home and secondary water supplies. And people will use this water for their lawns or sometimes to fill their kiddie pools. And you can only imagine having this kiddie pool sitting out in 90 degree heat, just fermenting like a soup with these, these pathogens. So So we treat these pathogens with Zithromax and metronidazole, some some medications. And there are options for a testing stool, but there are so many false negatives and they require two or three stool samples to find the pathogen. And the medication is so benign. So I often just simply treat with those medicines when there is a supportive history of going too long, they have the right symptoms and signs and just go ahead and treat. Mm
0: -hmm. Are there rash complications of intestinal illnesses?
1: I think just what you would assume of having all this stool on their skin, when you think about that, what's in stool helps digest pizza and hamburgers and stuff like that. And so when that goes on their skin, it causes some skin breakdown. And so we want to be aggressive with their skin barriers, desitin, and those kind of things.
0: What do we not want to miss?
1: That's always a great question because whenever we have things happening a lot, it's easy to assume that accounts for everything but I always worry about missing a surgical abdomen like appendicitis. But interestingly, appendicitis really slows down the intestines. So it looks more like fever and vomiting in the kid. It looks pretty sick, but there's no diarrhea that follows after the vomiting. And they get more ill appearing along with their kind of right lower quadrant, appendix area, abdominal pain over time.
0: Well, let's talk a bit more about hand, foot, and mouth disease.
1: Yeah, this is a classic warm weather disease. Uh, it's caused by a virus called Coxsackievirus A16 and the other A groups of Koksaki virus. And it's kind of an interesting side note that this is a virus, it's in the same family and enterovirus genus as poliovirus. And so when we think about how common hand, foot, and mouth disease is around people.
0: Poliovirus was every bit as common as hand, foot, and mouth is now, but polio caused death and permanent disability. Definitely one of the successes of vaccinations.
1: Yeah, it's a great example of the importance of vaccination in your life, even though polio isn't something people think about very much. It was as common as hand, foot, and mouth is in their kid's life.
0: Yeah. What does the rash look like with hand, foot, and mouth?
1: Well, the name describes it all. We get individual red bumps on the palms and soles of the hands and feet, and they may move quite a way up the legs as well, up to their diaper area. Then we see little ulcers at the back of the throat as well.
0: How long is it contagious and how do we care for the kids?
1: Interestingly, hand, foot and mouth is contagious for a couple of weeks even after symptoms kind of resolve. That's why it's so contagious. We don't quarantine these kids because they're gonna shed this virus for a long time. So the goal of treatment is to control the pain and fever. I'll have them alternate Tylenol and ibuprofen every three hours for 48 hours and then as needed. I'll encourage lots of fluids, whatever the patient will drink, but also recommend using cool fluids, no carbonation, and nothing acidic.
0: You mentioned viral meningitis as well.
1: Yeah, we've done a great job with immunizations for bacterial meningitis, which is great because there's such a a high fatality rate, as well as a high rate of permanent damage like deafness with bacterial meningitis. But in the warm months, there are some viruses that cause inflammation in the spinal cord, with the neck stiffness and and the kids don't appear as sick as with bacterial meningitis, but parents still have this child with a fever and this neck stiffness. And so it is important to get them seen if you worry about a stiff neck and fever to let us sort out the difference.
0: With playing outside, kids get lots of cuts and scrapes that tend to get infected.
1: Yes, we, we get lots of cellulitis with infected scrapes as well as staph and strep infections like impetigo. And I treat them pretty much about the same where I recommend some gentle scrubbing with soap and water at least once daily. And that takes down the, the bacteria burden really well and the, and the contagiousness. And then if the infection is far enough along, I will prescribe an oral antibiotic like cephalexin. But I always will have parents apply mupirocin as prescribed twice a day until it's resolved.
0: Is it fine to use Neosporin instead of a prescription topical antibiotic?
1: Well, Neosporin is great for prevention, but it doesn't treat an infection very well once it has already started. So um, also many kids have a sensitivity to Neomycin. And on occasion we see some resistant bacteria in people with exposure to those like grandparents and nursing homes. Or long-term hospital stays, etc., and meperidine is just more effective. That's mupyrusin with an M, like like Marshall mupyrusin.
0: And last is the classic swimmer's ear.
1: Yeah, so swimmer's ear is really a skin infection that is in the ear canal. So, so the ear canal is pretty tender. You know, moving the ear is pretty tender, and it isn't actually an ear infection like one might get from having a cold. So, we're oftentimes not using oral antibiotics. But what I will prescribe is a drop with a steroid for the swelling and inflammation in the canal, and then an, an antibiotic is in that same drop to help out with the infection.
0: How about prevention for swimmer's ear?
1: So for those kids that are getting lots of swimmer's ear uh, infections that are prone to swimmer's ear, I recommend that parents make up a solution of half rubbing alcohol and half vinegar and use that after each time a child swims. I had them get the water out of their ears, kind of shake it out, and then put about five drops of this mixture into each ear, so the alcohol helps the water to evaporate, and the vinegar alters the pH a little to prevent infections from growing, and uh, so it just, it's a nice thing to use, but you definitely don't want to use it if they have an active infection because that would burn that crazy if you um, had an irritated ear and put alcohol and vinegar in there.
0: Well, this wraps up our discussion of warm weather infections and medical problems. So lastly, remember to apply your sunscreen.
1: Yes, a good reminder at the end. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to getting together again next time. KidDoc is available wherever you find your other favorite podcast. If you enjoyed what we shared with you today, be sure to like us and subscribe to help other listeners like you find us. On our website, we will add supporting materials and other helpful items from this and other podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast, while carefully considered, are ultimately the opinions of the presenters and not necessarily of our employers or of any other organizations with which we are affiliated. And remember, the content of this podcast shouldn't be seen as a substitute for seeking actual personal medical care. If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. Otherwise, schedule a visit with a caring doctor to help with your concerns.